0: said, you know, uh, that was the name of my band in college. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please welcome. Sweet inspiration. Um, uh, really glad to be with you guys. Uh, I, there's a lot going on in our church. Um, Jennifer mentioned Serve Day. Um, nothing has defined our church better in the past couple of years than Serve Day. Last year when we were, we partnered with a local school, um, right, just a mile away, uh, the, the, the response we got from our own church community was unbelievable, the fun we had on that day was kind of surprising to a lot of people. Of course, we're, we're still working on it. We, we did we get our band scenario to figured out? Yes. We got a live band. We got people, we got people serving food. Our, our last year, our, our vision was to try to put the band on a truck with a generator so they could like drive around like a Disney parade. <laughs> Didn't really work out. But we still had a live band, and we had sandwiches, and we had cookies, and we had food, and we had... I mean, it was awesome. And um, we're going to do it again. We had like, about 1,000 people last year served. We're going to have it again this year. Um, our goal is to be about 1,400 or so people um, this year, what's really cool is that the partnership has is, is really kind of taken a next step, which is that the local, the school districts are now calling and saying, we need the church that you guys worked with from last year's, uh, to, can they come and help us too? And it's like, yeah. and their school is responding in a great way. So it really is a great partnership with the community. It's one of those things that we do um, that, you know, if you're going, I'm not sure if I should do that. The answer is you should do it. Okay. Like if you're like, I don't know if I, what I got going on, cancel your plans. There's nothing going on on June 14th. All this, whatever, whatever you have happened, it's all done. It's all, it's over. This is what's happening, okay? If anything else comes up, you got to say, I'm sorry, my whole family and I are going to serve day. We're changing the community. Sorry if you're doing something less important than that. I mean, you've got to, like, shame people, make them feel terrible, because it's the best thing we got going, all right? Okay, good. You're there. You got it, okay? We're going to use guilt and shame only in that regard, okay? Every, other than that, we don't use it, okay? So All right, you're with me. Uh, today's big day. Uh, you know, um, a couple of us, a really small team of us um, from Mission Viejo, but with a bigger group from all of the Mariners campuses are going to Africa, so I leave at... <laughs> 3.30, you know, I went to bed at 2.30, so it's like, yeah, I'm ready to go, really, so I'm hanging on, uh, but it's going to be really great, we have some great work we're, we're going to be a part of, um, We're I'll be speaking at a, at a conference in, in Nairobi, and then uh, we're going to kind of connect with our partner in Uganda, we're going to be hanging out there for a little while, and so there's some great stuff happening, one of the things we talk about is, you know, we're in the local community, for the community, perhaps you've probably heard us say, say this before, but We're also in the global community, and so being part of that and being connected to what's going on, what God's doing in the global community is really, really critical to understanding even what God does here. So very excited. A lot happening. Very, very cool. Now, we got a new series um, called called Listen, and I'm very excited about this this series. It is based on an idea that is completely absurd. Uh, It's based on a notion that is, I would say, it's just what makes church people insane, uh, you know, there's lots of things that give church people kind of a bad name, but this is the one that makes them crazy. <laughs> like you go, ah, right, cool. You guys are, that, you're crazy. This is the thing. So if you're new with us, if someone brought you, you're going to be like, yes, yeah, see, I told you, you guys are, he just said you guys were crazy. I knew it. You're crazy. We all know it now. Now we're all on the same page because this is what makes us crazy. It is so unbelievable. It's wild. And it's what differentiates us. Dif- that's hard for me to say that. Differentiates us from the rest of the world. So I'm very excited about this series. I'm excited to get into it. The next couple weeks are going to blow you away. Um, so let's just let's pray and we'll, we'll get into today's message. Jesus, we are um, grateful. We're grateful for a day to get up. We're grateful for a day in which we get to come here. It's a, we're grateful, Father, that we get to um, be surrounded by people who are like us, who are aware of the fact that they do not have all the answers, who are longing to seek a deeper relationship with you, to find a deeper purpose and meaning in their life. We're longing for deeper, more meaningful connections with each other. Father, we're grateful that you meet us as we are. Jesus, we live in a noisy world, a world where it is easy to be distracted. It's easy to be shouted down. It's easy to be a participant in the shouting and the noise-making. Father, we need to hear from you. We need to believe the stuff from the world is just simply not helpful. So today, Jesus, would you elevate your voice in our own heart? Might we respond to you in a fresh way? Might we understand your voice in a new way? Might we be moved toward you in a way that absolutely transforms us? So Jesus, for just a moment, as we kind of customarily do, would you speak to us in the stillness? Might your voice be clear, different than the other voices, the sounds and the noise that we hear in the world, Jesus? Speak to us today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, now, if you, you came in, you used to, if you've been with us before, or maybe you just figured this out, that in your bulletin, usually people that are new go through the bulletin the fastest, they have something to look at and see what, how crazy you really are. So you saw an outline in there. If you want to pull that out, you can, but let me tell you this. That outline probably has about four hours of content on it, so I had to, like, just keep sla- You're going to look at what we're going to get through today. You might, you could probably use the first half. The second half, you could, like, draw up your, like to-do list, whatever, if you get bored during the message or whatever else it is, your menu order for Chipotle for the whole group, what do you guys have? You want guacamole? Whatever it is, you write that down in the back of the outline because we're, we're barely going to get there. So, you know, there's a lot here. I'm going to try to pare it all down to the simplest, most insane thing, like I said, and then we'll, we'll deal with it as, as it comes, all right? Now, you might decide you just want to make that thing in an airplane and fly it at me because you're just frustrated. Some of you guys have OCD. You're like, you have to finish this outline, and I'm just want to apologize to you. I'm one of those people, too, like, he's not going to make it. We only have... 18 minutes left, he's only through the third point, or whatever it is, I just, so you know, I get it, but we're not going to get there, okay, cool? All right, Um, I want to start by telling you the story, though, just to give you a sense of how this ought to be framed up. Last weekend, I took my family camping, and it was us, some of you might have got our our little compass note we send out every week, and I took my family camping, it was, um, it was like 98% terror and torture, Uh, it was raining the entire time, I mean, it's Memorial Day week, hey, it's the first day of summer, whatever, and it's like... It's raining, set up we got there at night, which is the worst time to set up a tent. And then it's raining in the night, you know, and Kent's like, I'm called but I wanna sleep. you know, they weren't actually the truth was they were like, This is so awesome. And we were like, You guys stop playing in the mist. Come over here, let's stop. You gotta stay right here. But it's you know, it's raining. I'm like get I'm on like, get out of the tent, give me some help, get away from me, get close to me. Like I could not, I was horrible. <laughs> so I set up this tent, we're all you know, my, my son, my oldest son, who's eleven, who's having the time of his life, he's like loving the whole adventure. The idea of the rain is only adding to the experience for him. My wife's looking at me like this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. My my two youngest are like we're sleeping in the van with you mom, so me and my son are in this big six-person tent, just the two of us. And you know what we do? You know you're out there camping. And what do you do except that you just go hiking? Cuz what else do you do? And we're out one morning we're we're hiking in the mist. I mean it's like it's again it's supposed to be like 85 and it's like 45 degrees is the high. And we're literally living in a cloud because that's how high up we were. And it's, we're walking through the forest and stuff like that. And there's, there's, of the families that went with us, there's 20 total kids. So there's uh, there's six families and 20 kids. So I've, nobody has fewer than three kids. Um, and it's just like, we ruined that campsite. For anybody who tried to get away to have like a peaceful, quiet, you know, just want to get away from the sounds of the world and just be in quiet nature. It was like, no, 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 here comes a, just a marching band of kids, you know, running around. So all of us go hiking. We're wandering through the, the wilderness there and, you know, it's really not that much of a wilderness. It's only like a mile and a half from like a local high school and like a store. But you feel like, man, we are—we might die out here, you know. And I suppose you could if you really didn't know what you were doing, and you know, like and none of us knew what we were doing, so we could all die. But we're walking through, and it's like all these folks walking through, you know, over the, you know, the, literally the trail we're walking on is called the Enchanted Trail, which you know, just just perfect for some kind of fairy tale to happen. And we're walking down this trail. And pretty soon, as the group starts to stretch out, and some kids are, you know, there are the ages of our kids in this group are from six all the way to, to 15 years old, and so there's a pretty wide span of ability levels and all this kind of stuff, and pretty soon, we get to a, a kind of a, a point to turn around and look where our group is, and we're like, every, like a, a parent from every one of the groups of kids is going, I'm missing a kid, where's your, you know where your kid is? I don't know where my kid is. We're, gonna, we're all like, it's raining, it's cold, we don't have time for this, is all we kind of basically said. Now... What we did next, and the way in which you interpret this story thus far, however you hear that story is literally the way, however you imagine the characters, the, the way I might have responded as a dad, the way the other parents responded, the way that you understand those who got lost, the way that you understand the rescue operation that is to follow, everything you understand there is literally the way you understand the way the Bible actually works. If you, however you picture the attitudes, the voices, the characterizations, the mood, the experience, however you understand that is just about the best, like that is your lens through which you read the Bible. And what I want to talk to you today about is as crazy as it gets, it is the most critical thing. You can make a case that if everything we do, excuse me, in church stems from this one premise I'm about to show you, and it is, it's like this All of the, I mean, some of the deepest questions in our life are answered by this one thing I'm about to show you. However you might perceive that story I just told you is the way in which you understand the Bible. Now, this this thing, this premise is based on kind of three parts. One part is kind of beyond belief. One part is sort of unlikely or scary. And the third part is seemingly reckless. Ready? Here it is. My my little thing works. There we go. John 10, let's see, I have the whole thing? No, I erased it. Good, great. Here we go. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That's it. It's the single craziest, most important, most critical thing. It's the thing from which everything else we do stems. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now there's a lot in here, it's pretty, there's a lot to this, to this verse, which is why I wasn't able to get through all of the outline. And a lot of what we see in this verse is actually really problematic for us. So what you get, first of all, is this, apparently there's some form of communication happening. Right, there's this metaphor, in which now let me give you just the, real, the most basic way to describe communication, because it, it, this kind of matters, but apparently there's some form of communication. Communication involves a couple things. There it is. My sheep listen to my voice. A couple of things. An encoder with a message. This is the most basic communication stuff. There is a message that's been encoded, a medium by which that message is translated, and a decoder, meaning the person who receives it understands it. To break it down even further. So for instance, well, just break it down a little, again. The encoder in this story, this metaphor isn't hard to figure out, the encoder in what Jesus is speaking about here is Jesus. The medium is his voice, and the decoder is a or some sheep. Now, it's not hard looking at this to identify which part of this metaphor, this word picture, we get to play. We don't get to be that one. <laughs> That's not really something you can be. So we get to be sheep. I know, <laughs> I know my sheep, right? But they listen to my voice. I mean, this is some kind of some interesting stuff here. What does it mean then for us... This is not going, there it goes. What does it mean then for us to consider this? Now... There's this, kind of, there's this kind of difficult metaphor to understand here, really, which, I mean, it's not difficult to understand. It's just not fun to understand. Because we get to be sheep. I don't know. And my guess is not, nobody in here really has had a lot of experience being a shepherd. You know, not really. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, you know, I live in Ladera. I don't know anything about shepherds. But I know people in, like, Mission Viejo and, you know, Laguna Hills. They know about shepherding. But, yeah, thank you a lot, Ladera Ranch people. But, really, the... I don't think we have to know a lot about sheep to capture what this is about. And to capture why it's a little bit kind of problematic for us. If you ask kids, "Hey guys, if you could be any animal, what would you want to be?" Shark, tiger, eagle, want to be a dolphin or a giraffe or an elephant. Nobody's like, "You know, it would be like really cool sheep. Okay, I mean, no, that's not, you're a prey animal, you're a domestic, you're, that's all, you make sweaters, that's all you do, right? <laughs> they're not even that comfortable. <laughs> and yet the picture that, God, that Jesus gives to us is that you get to be sheep. You get to be sheep. My sheep do this one, there's one skill that sheep have, they're not bright animals, they're not scary animals, they're scary only if you're little and they knock you over a petting zoo. Of course, they have that warning, like, make sure you wash your hands after you pet the sheep because you might get some kind of weird virus or something. And so you're like, what do I do? Why are they let us petting these things? But there's not much that sheep do. They're not super fast. They're not real elegant looking. They have kind of these weird eyes that can see all the way around. They're just these weird looking sort of bug out eyes. They have really poor depth perception, but they have a skill, evidently, which is worth emulating. It's that they listen. They listen. Apparently, there's something worth kind of considering about a sheep as it listens. So there's this voice, speaking voice, which we'll get to why that's problematic in a minute. There is a a voice itself that's being spoken and the recipient of that voice, which is a sheep. Then it goes to this. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them. I know them. Now, Jesus is again speaking here, right? He's talking about people. And he's saying that he knows them. And somehow wrapped up in this idea of being known is our greatest fear and our greatest desire in our whole life. Our greatest fear is wrapped up in these two words, I know. So is our greatest desire. See, our greatest desire is to be fully known and to be fully loved. Every single person in the whole world. Now, regardless of what you might think about Jesus, no matter what you might think about this really fun wall we have in our room, it doesn't matter, whatever you think about it, this is true of every single person in the world. I want to be known, and I want to be loved. What's also true is that our greatest fear is that we might be known, even just a little bit, and that we might be rejected. If we're known at all and rejected at all, these two things go hand in hand. And so we live in a world in which we are constantly longing to be fully known and yet terrified of it at the same time. Jesus describes his people as sheep who listen to his voice and then he says, I know them. I know them. The way in which this This desire that we haven't always described, the the best way to picture this whole concept. It's the reason why people make really not wonderful choices in relationships. It's the reason why you worry about the friends your kids hang out with. It's the reason why your parents worry about the friends you hung out with. It's because we're all searching to figure out how to navigate that world of wanting to be known, but being afraid of being known. Because we're all in the search for the same thing. Intimacy. We all want intimacy. We just don't know how to access it. What Jesus says is, I want you, I want you to understand that I am, a, I am speaking and that you listen and that I know you. Now, if you're a person who has been, who has largely, largely gotten the message in your life, that when people get to know you, they run away from you, then the idea of a God who would know you is really terrifying, especially if the people in your life that care, that were supposed to care most about you, your parents, even if you don't know your parents, if you're adopted or whatever else it might, if whatever that might mean, there's a sense in you that says, if God really knew me or if he let me know how much he knew me, he wouldn't want me around. And yet this God Speed. Finish the sentence. It's not what you know, it's who you know. When we're talking about intimacy, though, our greatest need, our greatest desire, even that's not enough. Something more to this picture, which is this. These batteries are dying on me, maybe. It's not what you know, it's who you know, and who knows you? See, our greatest desire isn't simply that we know other people, we know about them. A lot of us will talk about, even as we have conversations with each other and deep friendships, we'll talk about this idea. We might know someone who's supposed to care about us, like our dad or a mom or something, like that, but we never really got to know them, they weren't vulnerable with us. And there's something about that idea, of they—they never really—they they might, we might know about them, but they never really ask about how we're really feeling, how we really are the picture of intimacy is one in which we're not just someone who knows about other people but that they know us. It's not what you know it's who you know and who knows you. Then Jesus says this apparently all, all of this sheep being and this speaking and this listening leads to something else which is this my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me. What Jesus intends for people is not simply that they would acknowledge that he's speaking, but that their lives would be transformed because they dedicate themselves to following him. The relationship between Jesus and his followers is one in which those people who listen, those are the ones who follow him. And the big issue for us is we don't really have a good handle on how to listen. And we, for a lot of us, whether or not you grew up in the church, there's a sense of us that says, I, I, there are people who talk about hearing from God, but that's like a little, they're a little bit wild. I mean, that's kind of like, they're a little bit crazy. We like the idea of God speaking in kind of a metaphorical, broad sense, but the idea that he would actually speak, that's what crazy people say. <laughs> I mean, think about it for just a moment. We, if you think about just, uh, we're coming up on an election here. And you think about the way in which people talk, who are politicians who talk about their faith. Apparently what Americans want is someone who has a Christmas tree, who prays in times of real crisis, would you join me in prayer as people are suffering, whatever, you want that, or, you know, we we pray for the victims of whatever it is, and you, you get that, we like that. But America would freak out. If a president said, you know, I've decided to institute some new policy, God told me I should do this, everybody would be like, whoa, <laughs> oh my gosh, you can't say that. We want someone who has a relationship with God, but not one in which they're actually listening to him for any kind of guidance, because that's what crazy people do. You know what, I thought I'd go over here, God told me I should do it. Oh my gosh, what else did the monster say to you at night? I mean, it's like, we just, we're, we're not sure what to do with people like that, and to be Fully and completely honest with you. When people say that to me, there are times where I'm like, well, really? Like, I, are you sure? I don't know. You know, like, where, where? I don't. Do you say this to other people too? Like, I just, you know, like, there's a part of me that goes, yeah, you're hearing from God and he's directing some kind of path in your life. But What other things are telling you you should do this? I mean, whatever else. I mean, I just want to keep second-guessing it because it's so weird. And yet there's this picture in the Bible over and over and over again that God is a God who speaks. If you open your Bible to the first page of the Bible, you get, and God said, and then stuff happens. The very nature of the cosmos, according to the Bible, is based on the speaking God. Throughout all of the, the, the story of the Bible, you get God saying stuff to people, and, God said, and the Lord God said unto so-and-so, Abraham, Moses, Noah, whatever you want, prophets, whatever. You get God saying all this stuff. In fact, the issue God has with his people most of the time is that they don't Listen. God is a speaking God, and as bizarre as that might be, because we hear about people in the Bible who heard from God and did stuff, most of us, at least I'll speak for myself, most of us go, yeah, they're like special. They're like, they're not like me. You know, they didn't drive a minivan and have soccer practice and do all these other things they're supposed to do with their kids, and they weren't worried about their, they worried about their taxes or whatever else is they're thinking about in their world. They're unique. And yet, God says to all his people, listen to me. Now to fully understand this concept, this idea of my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me, we got to back up a little bit in the passage. So I just want to walk you through a little bit of John chapter 10, beginning in verse two. Here's what it says. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Now, I want you to just try to picture it in your head. I don't know much about sheep. I know if, if you showed me a picture, one I could tell you that that's a sheep. Right? I mean, so for a lot of us, They're, they have like these black faces and black hooves, and then they have just puffy wool, right? Or all around them. Now, I want you to imagine a flock of sheep. Let's suppose there's. I don't know what count constitutes a flock, more than eight? I don't know, I'm, well, whatever. Let's just suppose there's 10 or 12 or 15 or 100. But imagine there's a bunch of sheep. It says here that the Jesus, now remember, the, the people he's talking to don't yet understand what he's saying. But he's saying that a shepherd knows his sheep by name. Anybody have friends? I know there's a couple that are here. Friends of people who are, uh, who are twins. Not like, not like fraternal twins. I mean like identical twins. I just feel so. Bad. I know there's a pair of twins that go to our church, so I, you know, at least one. Maybe, maybe there's only one, and they're just. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's more. I don't know. There are more places than I thought. But anyway, but there, there's this. There's this really difficult thing for the rest of us, you know, who don't who aren't familiar with twins, which is we don't know how to tell them apart. Now, their really close friends do, and they they say hi, and you're like, I'm not sure which one you are. I don't know what to do. And it, and they there's like parents know, their really close friends know. They know the detail to such... I mean, they know which freckle form because too much exposure to the sun. They know the story behind the scar that happened when they fell off their bike and, you know, in third grade or whatever else it is. They know all the detail of their face in the smallest detail, and they can give them a name, a nickname even. I never really had a cool nickname growing up. I was wanted one. I remember at camp, summer camp one year, I told everybody I wanted to be called Ace. Ace. <laughs> So I'll go for it. These guys don't know me. I'm going for Ace. It lasted about six hours. Like, why are we calling you Ace? Ah, uh, it's awesome. You know, I didn't. I, I, you know, I, stupid. I was like, you know, eleven. But I wanted a different name. I mean, there's great nicknames. There's like, Irvin Magic Johnson. My favorite. He's one of my favorite basketball players in the whole world, right? I, I went to high school with a guy. His Name was John Bamford. Bam. He has got called Bam. That's like the best. I got Jeff. <laughs> Man, what's up with that name? Now you have to imagine Jesus looking out, or the shepherd is the analogy here, looking out at a group of sheep and he knows them to the degree all of these animals look, which look virtually identical and he knows them to the degree that he can give them a name. Ah, there's Puffy and Poofy and Fluffy and Donner and Blitzen and... Whatever, thunder. I mean, whatever names he wants to give. Sheep, ace. You know, whatever name he wants to give the sheep. There's a kind of intimacy Jesus is speaking about here in which the shepherd knows the sheep. To have a name is to be known uniquely and individually, even among a crowd in which there is very little differentiation. Verse continues. And he leads them out the one who enters the gate by the shepherd of the sh- uh, gate is the shepherd of the sheep the one, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out now again most of us don't know much about being a shepherd i don't i you know i didn't that wasn't one of my chores growing up but i want to give you just a sense most of us have an idea we have a question about where they're being led where are the sheep being led out to now, there's this picture we have in our head. You kind of have, you start thinking about sheep in a meadow, wherever they're being led out of the pasture. Most of, most of us in our head have a picture that looks kind of like Ireland. Just like sort of this, some old man with the pipe, and the, you know, there's the dogs chasing these sheep through this green hillside. You know, it's just an endless connecting ocean of green grass. Where the sheep get to go and just graze and graze and graze and enjoy the, just this cool weather. Remember where Jesus is speaking to a group of people who live in the desert. Which means the metaphor that they're, they're appropriating here, the one that they're understanding here, isn't one in which they have a picture of Ireland where the sheep just wander around green hillsides. They're looking at a desert landscape. In fact, more often than not, you'll see this later as I'll show you, but when the Bible speaks about the meadow or the pasture in which the sheep are grazing, it's often referring to hillsides, not open spaces of grass because those are pretty difficult to find in the desert what you see is that there's enough food, which is barely a little something that grew up you know, in, the, in the night, perhaps, or in, you know, over a short period of time, that's very quickly going to die because it's too hot to survive. So there's a little bit of foliage, a little bit of shrubbery here and there. And the sheep are led by the shepherd to a very small amount of something to eat. And then he has to move them on because they can't stay there. In other words... For a lot of us, when we, when we imagine the sheep imagery in the Bible, we imagine that God takes his people, using the imagery, or a shepherd takes his people to a place in which they no longer really need the shepherd to live. And yet the imagery in the Bible that's more accurate is one in which we actually get the picture where the sheep are utterly dependent on every, for every single day on the shepherd to take them to the next pasture, which is a rocky hillside with just enough food for that day. Should those sheep wander off, they'll die. They won't be able to find anything else to eat. They don't have any wildness left in them. It's like if you took our labradoodle and put him out in the wilderness and said, be free, he'd be dead. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, it's just a cute little doll. I mean, they just don't have any wildness left in them. They don't know how to, they need a shepherd. And they're utterly dependent, which means... The shepherd is critical to their survival. Verse 4. When he's brought out, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, a couple things. One is, you know, I just I told you we are out camping this past weekend, and there's, you know, there's, there's like five... Six people there named mom (laughs) and 20 kids. And there is a precision kind of hearing. I don't think I have it as much as my wife does for my kids. I think she's a little bit more sharply tuned. But it's like in in a giant gaggle of kids, a kid says a name that everybody else has there. And Amanda goes, what is it, Scotty? What is it, Molly? What do you need? She can tell. I mean, just there's a clear, she knows her kids, boy and they know her. Now, then you have this really interesting verse. It's actually kind of confusing. They went, they'll never follow a stranger speaking of the sheep, and in fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. It almost makes it sound like it's pretty impossible for sheep to get lost. <laughs> when they're following another sheep, it sounds like that's not possible. Except we know how, how sheep can, we know how we can get lost The question is, does this analogy break down? Has Jesus kind of lost his way with his kind of word crafting here? Like, oh, a lot of of good parables. This one's a little off. Or is there something else here? The question is, how does a voice of a stranger take on the attributes of a shepherd? Meaning, we can assume there are lots of voices in our world that we hear. So we have grown up hearing certain voices. We've grown up hearing certain messages from certain people over certain times. And over the long distance of our life, we continue to start hearing them over and over and over again. And we know from a very early age, that's not the voice we ought to kind of be listening to. But if we start hearing it long enough, we start hearing it over a long enough period of time and we hear it enough times over and over again, that voice becomes less and less stranger and more and more familiar. And as soon as a voice becomes familiar to us, It's easier for us to start saying, that's the most familiar voice. Maybe that's the shepherd. This room, our lives are full of people who have been listening to and understanding and trusting in voices that are very familiar because we've heard them for so long and we've believed them for so long and they're not the shepherd. They've damaged us. They've wound us, wounded us. And they've caught us up in belief about ourselves and about the world and about our value and about our own worthiness. And they've over and over again, and we started to believe that's the voice of the shepherd. It is the ability of a sheep to recognize the voice of the true shepherd to keep them from harm, to give them the life that they're hoping to have. Now, Jesus is using one of the most famous metaphors in the Bible. Like, this is a commonly used phrase, this idea of a sheep and a shepherd. This is often a term utilized to describe kings and their people in the Bible and all of the ancient Near East. And yet, the people listening to him, are, and the people listening to him, his, his audience here, are the, among the most learned people in this area. And this is what happens. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees, these people who know scripture, did not understand what he was telling them. Now, what this means is it's not like they're unclear about the metaphor. Like, it's not like, well, I don't, really under- I don't know what that means. It's, that's not what they're saying. What's actually happening here is that they don't understand how Jesus could be talking about that metaphor in such personal kinds of terms. Like, where are you taking us? Why are you talking about this metaphor? We all know. Are you sure you're the one to be able to talk about it? And I think for a lot of us, especially if you're new, but I think probably bigger than that. I think that whole question sums up a lot of how we think about Jesus for a lot of us in this room. I'm not really sure you are who you say you are. I'm not sure you're qualified to be talking about this in the way that you are, Jesus. I think we're not all that different than the Pharisees in this way. I think for a lot of us, at least the way the Pharisees see it too, is that Jesus is doesn't sound like their version of the way they think God is supposed to sound. The voice now speaking to them isn't one in which they go, that sounds like something God would say. They're like, well, you don't get to say, they either have two actions, they have two reactions. They either say, We're confused, you're not really, I don't get why you get to say stuff like that, or they're angry because how dare you speak like that as if you get permission to talk like that. In this instance, where God is speaking. Hard to recognize sometimes for some of us which voice is actually God. The truth is we're hearing from all kinds of influence and voice all the time. The tone of those voices sounds like this, accusation. Shame, anger, guilt. It sounds like the voice of wanting you to know and believe that you are ugly. It sounds like the voice that we go, that, that. Is that who God is? We kind of have this picture. Maybe there's a picture we have about God that says, you are not welcome, you're uninvited. And the question we have to ask ourselves in the moments of real clarity, in the moments of real stillness is this one. Does the voice you're hearing loudest and most clearly match the description of the Jesus we see in the Bible? Because my experience is most often people have an impression about how God sees them, And the way in which he speaks to them that is totally inconsistent with the person of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus will go on to say as he's talking with these folks, these Pharisees, to clarify what kind of voice he speaks with. He'll even kind of say, we don't have time to get into it, he'll even kind of say in this passage. He'll even talk about the idea that my voice and the Father's voice, God's voice, they are one in the same. And the question we have to wrestle with in all of this is, does the voice you're hearing loudest and most clearly in your life match the description of the Jesus you see in the Bible? Let me fast forward in this passage a little bit. Because this is really, really important. Here's what Jesus says. Now give it, before I show you this. given That most of the time in our lives, there are people trying to take from our lives. There are people trying to get from us. There is a world trying to take from us. The systems and the powers of the world are opposed to you. And we stop every so often in a moment of clarity and go, why am I playing this game? Why am I doing this? We have this all the time. Now, the world is trying to drain, drain life and Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy and I've come that they might have, they mean sheep, people, may have life and have it to the full. Is the voice that you're hearing the one that's the loudest and most dominant in your life, whether it's the voice of an absentee father, like in my case, or it's the voice of shame or guilt or regret or whatever else it might be in your life, is that the kind of voice that is trying to give to you life in the fullest? Sometimes you see in other, part, in other translations of the Bible, you see life abundantly or life in all its fullness or the life that is life. Is that voice leading you and guiding you to the life that is life? skipping ahead. Jesus says this twice in in a little passage. When you have a group of passages, like a passage together in the Bible, it's called a pericope. It looks like periscope without an S, but pericope. And it's usually bookended by a couple things like this phrase. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, the definition of a good shepherd is one who would give up everything for the sheep. Verse 15, this is kind of where it concludes. 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Listen to this. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, which means I know everything about them. I fully know them. And I lay my life down for the sheep. You are known and fully loved. The Bible tells us that the greatest description of love is one in which someone would give their life for another person. The greatest and most deep description heartfelt, soul-level need in your life is the one the Bible is trying to address in Jesus. And some of you are like, I don't want it, I don't believe in it. And yet, Jesus says, listen to my voice, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I'd give my life for them. There's this metaphor ongoing in the Bible. It isn't a picture in which God is saying, boy, I hope you guys can figure it out so you can come hang out with me someday when you're dead. That's a really uninspiring picture. The ongoing picture throughout the whole Bible, as confusing as the Bible might be to us, we say often here we don't have all the answers, we don't know everything, we know that whatever it is that we're trying to figure out in life has something to do with Jesus and loving other people, and we don't know how to do that all perfectly. But the story in the Bible is about God's relentless pursuit of human beings to bring them back to himself. The picture Jesus is using again, this ongoing picture of rescuing sheep. You, you get, he's using Old Testament, just, you know, Hebrew Bible metaphor here. The word picture here comes from Ezekiel. Check this out. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, Ezekiel thirty-four, eleven. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Sounds kind of like a pretty good shepherd. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. This is what Jesus is invoking, the same imagery. Because the people were expecting God to do this. And they thought when God would do this, they'd have no trouble identifying who he is. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm the good shepherd. I'm gathering up some sheep. They're like, you don't look like God. Verse 12, I'll rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them to their own land. I will pasture them, notice this, on the mountains of Israel. I'm going to go get them. I can't let them be out there on their own. They won't make it. They think they will. They're not the brightest animals. They make really nice sweaters, but they're really not that smart, and so I'm going to have to go get them because the shepherds have abandoned them. This is the passage where he's talking about the king's kind of abandoning the flock, and God's going, I'm going to get them myself. I'm the great shepherd. I will gather those who are wounded. I will gather those who are lost. Here's what it says, even skipping forward a little further in the passage. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. That that person has the voice that speaks. If the description of the God whom you are hearing doesn't match that, it is not God's voice. It will be impossible for you throughout the rest of this series to do any listening because you're listening to the wrong voice. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Now, I told you at the beginning of the message. We went camping. My, we're all hiking, and about six kids get lost. One of them is my daughter. And so it's like, well, we don't know what these kids are. What are we going to do? I mean, they, they, they could find their way back to camp, but they need us to show them where the bathroom is every night. So we're, gonna, we're pretty sure they're going to get lost. So it's like, I don't know why everyone looked at me. But it was like, you, gotta, you, you go run back there. And I'm like, sweet. I also get lost on the, ba- the way to the bathroom. So I'm like, okay, I'm the guy. So I'm running back there. It's at altitude. So I'm, after about 100 yards, I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, kids. Oh. You know, like I have that kind of thing. And I'm running back and I, I can whistle. So I'm whistling as loud as I can. And my, do- my kids know that when they hear the whistle, they're supposed to come run in with like, <laughs> it's sort of awful. It sounds like they're my dogs. But their sons are too far from my voice. So I'm whistling and I'm yelling and I'm saying all their names I can say, and eventually I hear some voices and I yell to some of the kids. I go, "You guys, I'm up here, I'm over here." You know, they're like, "We hear you," and I'm like, "They hear me." I don't know where I am, but they hear me. And so they 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 start climbing up this hill, and they find me, and they're all like, "Hey," you know, like, and I'm like, "Hey," you don't say it like that, like, "Hey," like, I was like, I'm telling these kids, I'm like, "Hey, you, you guys, there's a lot of a lot of us are pretty worried about you guys." So just so you know, so you guys sit right here in this log, everybody's going to come back and get you, and just so you know, it's kind of a big deal that you guys went off on your own, so you're probably going to be in trouble. <laughs> I just want to let you know the other parents get here in a second, and I go, I go, I hope it was worth it, and one kid who's like nine goes, it was, and I was like, <laughs> sit down. So everybody manages to get back to camp, I'm, and i my wife pulls me aside. Amanda goes, hey, Molly's in the tent. I didn't know what to do with her. I was so angry. And I just didn't know what to do. And I go, she goes, you have to talk to her. And I was like, you waited for me to get back here to talk to her? Because I was looking for another kid who had kind of wandered off too. So she's, she's like, yeah, you got to talk to her. And I was like, okay. You know, I'm like, I really wasn't even thinking about it at that point. I thought that part would have already been handled by Amanda. So I'm like, oh, you waited for me to do this? So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I grab Molly and we, we start walking and luckily I'm, because I wasn't prepared for it I, I, this is like a moment of some of you guys who are parents you have like this moment of rare parenting clarity and the only thing I could think of was just walk for a little bit then say stuff don't say stuff at first just walk a little bit so we walk a little bit in the camp quietly sit down some stump and I go and then so I'm kind of like wow you know I'm going to let you know this is a really big deal she's like uh huh and I'm, I'm getting kind of the I'm getting the I'm, I go into the parent speech and I'm look, she's looking at me like wah 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 and I'm like we didn't, you know, and you can't, and you're whatever, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I realize the tactic is failing me. And I, so I say, Molly, I want you to understand something. Let me ask you, who are the four most important people in my life? She goes, well, me, and Scotty, and Dylan, and Mom. And I go, that's right. And so when any one of those people I feel like is in trouble, or like goes missing, like in your case, I'm going to go looking for you because I love you so much. <clears throat> said, Molly, I would have looked all night and all the next day and the day after that. I would have looked every day until I found you because I love you. She starts to cry. Holding her. She can't even give up. She doesn't have the words, <clears throat> but she gets it. Issue here isn't about hiking smartly. It's about that I love you and you are missing and I would do everything I could to find you. So we walked back to camp, holding hands. I said, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to give mom a big hug because the one we love was missing and we could not find you. So I, got, I go grab Amanda. I just kind of turn her around. She's standing, because it's raining the entire time at this lame camp. And she's standing by the Everybody's kind of huddled around the fire trying to decide do we go and easy up where it's dry and cold, or do we stand by the fire and get wet, but it's by the fire? So it's kind of a debate. But she's by the fire, and I turn her around, and I just, go, I just kind of kick my arm around Amanda, and I just kind of put them together. And my daughter's hugs. Amanda. God will search. The voice of the shepherd calling out to his sheep is one in which he searches for the scattered and the lost and wants to bring them home. There is no big application this week. I don't have four more hours to give you that. I wish I did. There's so much contents on your message. I just want you to know that probably there's some calibration for you about what voice you're hearing. Because it may not be the voice of God, the one who searches for at his own peril, for the ones who are lost and the ones who are lonely. That's who we listen to. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to see one last time. I just want you to see this one more time. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is the, this is the premise of the whole series and it is, the, it is the aim of my life for you and for myself. Hearing God's voice, being known by God and following him. That is, that is it. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond. We usually have some time to sing. We're going to do that. But here's what I want to do. That's, that verse is going to be on the screen for just a moment. When we talk about prayer, most often people think about it as a listing activity in which we list off to God. Here's all the stuff I got going on. And yet, there's so many times in the Bible where primarily what you have that seems to be connected with prayer is the act of listening to God. And we're afraid of it because we don't want to sound crazy if we hear something. And we're afraid if it's actually true because what it might mean for our life. And there's so much fear associated. But remember, it's the God who searches for the one he loves, who's bringing us home. That's the voice. But here's what we're going to do. This is a very bizarre thing. We're going to spend a minute, a full minute, in quiet. The only noise will be our really loud air conditioning or whatever, you know, helicopter flies over and anything. It'll just be that in this room. In stillness. And all... I want you to pray is this. speak, God. I need to hear your voice. Say that once or twice and then listen, all right? You guys with me? That scripture's gonna be on the screen. The band's gonna set up, but they're not gonna rescue you with like a cool pad of music underneath it. There will be silence in here, okay? With me? Okay, close your eyes. You need to see that scripture on the screen. It'll be up there in a second. Jesus, speak to us We need your life-giving voice.